0: My guest today is Jay Klaus. Jay is the founder of the Unreal Collective, the host of the Creative Elements podcast, the creator of the Freelancing School, the host of the Upside podcast. He is a prodigious and prolific creative who cares about helping anyone who thinks about making a living on their own with their creative genius. He spent the past 10 years building communities of purpose and practice where artists, entrepreneurs, designers, really anyone who identifies as creative can figure out how to turn that into a living. Our conversation today explores those themes in depth. What is it to find what you're meant to do in the world and express that? And how is it that the world we've built for ourselves, the story we've told ourselves, that getting on a certain path, going to a certain school, getting a certain career, earning a certain amount of money, living in a certain place, how all of those things can take us away from deeper possibilities that exist when you learn how to express what's inside of you. So Jay is a dynamic person, a really fun guest, and I think you're going to dig this one. We'll take a big, deep breath, get settled in. Hear what Jay has for us. Jay Klaus, welcome to The Wonder Dome. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Andy. Yeah, yeah. So I'm telling you this right now for the first time, but part of the reason this podcast, The Wonder Dome, exists is in thanks to the inspiration that you gave me. I had already started the train, but you did this amazing, very generous free webinar on how you've launched now two podcasts, what you learned from the first one, Upside. And what you're, how you're implementing everything you learn on your fantastic new podcast creative elements. And bro, like it was just so good. One, it affirmed for me the stuff I was already doing well, but two, it helped me realize, okay, I can up my game here, here, and here, and just really commit to this. So thank you for that inspiration.
1: That's amazing. And if that's true, you really moved quickly to take that and start publishing. Because yeah. here we here we sit recording this and you have several episodes already published. It hasn't been that long since yeah. that happened. So kudos to you for like taking massive action on that.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the train was already rolling, but your roadmap for what it takes to produce, I could imagine a lot of people, myself included, were like, Oh dang, this is a lot of work. But having as someone who's done a lot of big creative projects, Once you realize what the work entails, it's actually, for me, was really empowering to say, okay, these are all achievable. Just about breaking it down into its discrete parts, coming up with some kind of project plan. And that way you can focus on having awesome conversations with awesome people and know and trust that they'll get produced and they'll sound good and they'll get out to the world. So it's just really inspiring to hear your perspective on all that.
1: Something that strikes me from you saying that is anytime you start to build up in your mind how much work something is, when you start actually doing it, it's really not that bad. And you also realize that it's mostly front loaded. You yeah. know, for example, I just last week hired a VA, a couple of VAs, one that's kind of like the the VA of the VAs, <laughs> you know, she's, <laughs> she's, she's, she's managing the team. Yeah. But I've never had that type of right-hand person or even tried to find that type of right-hand person to outsource some things to. And within a matter of a couple of days, she's onboarded into all of my systems. She has her own accounts. She's pushing me on things that she needs. And it's yeah. going to be not much time at all before she's fully managing the publishing process of one of my podcasts and helping me to do some outreach that I've otherwise neglected. So it's, it, it always surprises me, like, especially the longer that I let something build up in my own head is something that's big and daunting and scary. You just got to take the first step and knock over the first domino and, and dive in. And it's not, it's never been harder than I expected to do some of these things.
0: Yes. Oh, that's such a great insight. I actually, so I hired a company called Zephyr Business, which is based here in Boston. And they do, they, they do virtual assistant work. And man, I sat on that decision for so much longer than I should have. But then, like you said, that this person you hired, uh, some people who are who think about leadership, they think about or management, they think about hiring underlings, like, "Oh, I've got my little person to do this and that and it's like, no, actually, like I want to hire overlings, I want to hire people who are smarter than me and better than me and know how to do things that I'm not excited or not good at doing and, and do really well, so that I can spend more time having conversations like these. And it's just been, they've been such a gift. So I would, rec- like anyone who's listening is after business is rocking. But to your point, it's like, break it down into parts, find the people who can help you, whether that's, whether that's a potential teammate or someone you hire or whatever it is. And lots of stuff can start to happen.
1: Totally. And if you think of someone as an underling, there's no way they're not going to sense that. Who wants to be an underling? You know, you're right. going to be constantly replacing that person. Yeah. which is not a fun time. A lot of institutional knowledge that you lose anytime that happens. Yeah. Not to mention momentum.
0: Yeah. Yes, man. So I just like your Kaylee, the person on Zephyr who works with me, hopefully she's hearing this Kaylee. You're amazing. And the process that you've helped me implement is because Jay was like, here's the process. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was really cool, man. Thank you for that. But what I wanted to, t- I mean, there's lots I want to talk to you about today, Jay, but the thing that I'm like at the highest level, the thing that made me lean in and say, Jay, someone who I'd love to bring into the Wonder Dome is the way that you've devoted your, your career and your life to celebrating creative people and helping them make a living doing creative work. And we live in this, in a society that, I mean, it's May, right, end of May right now. So for those who are listening, it's It's that point in the journey of our pandemic as a society. So we might look at that more closely, but just more generally, we live in a society where there's a lot of emphasis on earning a lot of money and doing that on certain paths or certain channels or in certain ways. And there's a lot of us who live in the society who feel like we just don't quite fit in. It's like we want to work on something creative and there doesn't seem to be an obvious path for it. And I see you as sort of a path maker. You're someone who says, no, no actually, it might not be easy, but it, as you said, it's never as hard as I thought it was to be when I started. There are ways for you to make your own path through this wilderness. And I think that's just so, so important. Right now.
1: Totally. And it's, it's always kind of been that way for me. I mean, I think about money as much as the next guy, you know, even, you know, when I was graduating college, the paths that I thought I was going to take, I thought I was going to go into management consulting, uh, at a time before that, I thought I was going to be investment banking because the path <laughs> laid before me was, Hey, this is what success looks like coming out of this university path. It's getting one of these two jobs that pays higher than any other job coming out of business college. And so I looked at those things and I said, yeah, but I would hate that. So I didn't do those <laughs> things. I worked at a startup company where the first exercise we did was literally determining my budget so he could pay me just enough not to be Unable to pay rent. You know, like (laughs) it was it was just enough so that I could maintain a very, very modest lifestyle. Then, you know, after that company, I started working as a product manager. And that's a role that is in demand because there's not a lot of formal education around being a product manager.
0: Yeah.
1: After a year, I left that job to go out and freelance, which means that every year I'm not being a product manager. That's a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars worth of opportunity cost. So yeah, it's not about following any path that leads to money, because (laughs) I could be on one of those. Instead, I've been building my own path and I've enjoyed it so much that yeah, I want to help other people find that path
0: too. Yeah. Amen, man. I think that that piece about about the opportunity cost, another way I try and help myself reframe that is is as an investment. Right? Like we invest totally. Society tells us if we invest x number of dollars in college or a graduate degree or this certification and then we're going to be on this path. And that seems to be less and less true. Again, particularly at this moment in the midst of the pandemic, there seems to be a lot up in the air around what's a worthy investment yeah. of, of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. But what I hear you saying is like your time and energy, you chose to invest that and in a different way than just okay, I'm just going to keep working for these companies and trading my time for their money.
1: Totally. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm investing in myself. Yeah. And is the cash flow as good in the immediate term as taking a job? No. Is there any guarantee that I get to a place where the cash flow is better than the job that I could have taken? Also, no. You know, So investing in yourself, knowing that there is unlimited upside, however, harder path to get there, longer path to get there, And that's something that you have to decide for yourself if that's a bet you're willing to take.
0: Mm -hmm. How do you stay connected to what, what matters or stay focused on that infinite upside in the midst of just all of the uncertainty and ambiguity that comes with this choice that you've made?
1: I think in a way, I just don't know any other way to be <laughs> i i look at building my own business if i'm thinking about the nuts and bolts of how the model works i think of it like a puzzle and i'm just obsessed with solving this puzzle you know how do i maintain all of these constraints that are true and i want to be true while also getting to the outcome that i want that's just a constantly evolving puzzle that i have no more enjoyment than solving Honestly, like I wake up excited to work on that puzzle. I try to go to bed and I'm thinking about that puzzle. I'm just trying to solve that all the time. So I honestly just don't know another way to be because I know I can solve it. Mm. I've seen other people do it and I'm going to do it also. But there there are a lot of things, really anything that's worth doing and doing well and being known for doing is just a long-term experiment. Things don't happen overnight not sustainable things anyway. And so I've settled into a place where I feel like I'm directionally moving in the right way. The signs of progress and feedback that I'm getting from the people I serve is positive. And so I'm kind of just in this place of, okay, I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to iterate in small ways on what exists, and I'm going to build onto the base of what exists if I have a compelling reason to do so. I'm talking in a lot of Vague generalities right now. So if you want to get more specific on it, of this, let me know. But generally, I just, I know where I'm trying to go. I'm trying to help a lot of people. I'm trying to help people become confident, sustainable business owners as creatives. And I'm trying to always improve my own quality of life, which isn't just about top level income. It's about how my days look. You know, today I had almost nothing on the calendar until this call and I'm not worried about money. That's awesome. That's the type of lifestyle that I want for myself all the time, knowing that you know I'm spending my hours in the way that I want to spend them.
0: Mm. Mm. It's beautiful. So for someone who's hearing this, and they're like, "Well, Jay, that works for you. like you're you love it, and you seem to be wired for it. but I think you're crazy. <laughs> Sure. I'm just going to take the, the, I'm just going to find the stable job and, you know, I'll, I'll suck it up, but at least I'll have stability. Do you have, do you have anything to say to them? Are they just not your audience? Or is there, is there a message there for someone who might, who might be a little bit curious, but a little, but also pretty hesitant and resistant?
1: I'm, I'm not in the business of trying to convince anybody that my way of life is the way for them. However, if the way that I view things calls to you, then maybe I can help you. You know, I recognize that there are people who are happy with the traditional path and that's great. They don't get their fulfillment. They don't get their validation. They don't get their life force from the work that they do. They want to protect as much time as possible for their hobbies, for their family. Awesome. Love that. If that's working for you, that's great. And I'm not going to try to commit to you otherwise. What scares me is that for a lot of people, they think they want that they're doing it. They're not enjoying it. And more and more, I think it's becoming clear that job security as we've regarded it for a long time is a myth. It's a thing of the past. You know, everyone's terms of employment are pretty much at will. Even if you sign a contract, there's usually some sort of out clause termination clause. And If you are taking this path because you want stability, but stability is more myth than reality, where does that leave you? You could work years for a company developing specific skills for that company that when they don't need you, some of that is transferable, but a lot of it's not. And the equity you've built stays within that company and you have to start anew, which is a bummer to me. Whereas I know that day after day, even though I'm working 12 hours and a lot of time it's really monotonous and it's not going to pay off for a long time, all the equity I'm building is in myself and in my own projects, which is great. You know, no one can take that away from me except the market if they no longer want what I'm doing. So, you know, I, I really hope people who are starting to be dubious and cynical to the idea of job security, listen to themselves in terms of what is interesting to them. Because if you're spending eight hours of your day working for somebody else on something that you don't enjoy, that doesn't fulfill you, that's a third of your life, and we only get one of these, Hmm. you know, which is uh, a bummer to try to do. Now, again, you could take the same stance and say, well, Jay, that sounds great, but I have this constraint, this constraint, this constraint. And I get that constraints are real and there are trade-offs, but I also know you could probably wake up 30 minutes earlier or go to bed 30 minutes later and incrementally build towards a place where things change for you. Uh, we're, we're sitting here in America. I don't know how international your audience is in America. A lot of the draw to having a job is the healthcare system or the need for health insurance and because of the way World War II panned out, that ended up falling to employers, which is just this weird legacy system that came because of the point in time that was World War II. And now we find ourselves with a totally backwards and screwed up healthcare system. So that's you know also a consideration. And I realized that people who are later in their career, who have families, who have a high cost of living it's hard to make the jump to betting on yourself with all of the all in costs included. If you're listening to this and this is, and that's you and you want to get out of it, you got to chip away slowly over time. Mm. If you're listening to this and that isn't you yet and you want to get out of it, it's never going to be a better time. You know, it's, it's only going to get harder. Your costs of living are going to balloon your ability to work 14 hours a day, if you want to, is going to go down. <laughs> it's it's better to start sooner rather than later because it just there's a natural incubation period of how much work you have to put into something to even get good enough at it for people to pay attention. You know, if you're thinking about making a living from the work that you do, a lot of that is just development of your own voice in the style and processes until you get to a point where you can comfortably share your message consistently have it be a high enough quality that people enjoy it and tell other people about it. So start now, you know,
0: I love it. And I feel like you're speaking to the proverb and I'm probably going to mangle it a little bit, but it's something to the effect of the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is right now, right? You can't go back in time, but even if you're, you know, and I would put myself actually in that that first category. I'm I'm almost forty. I have one kid, another on the way. I just my reality is different than if you're if you're 24 and out of college and you can afford to live very minimally and and see what happens. I also have some advantages accrued by years of making mistakes and going down wrong paths and learning wisdom and developing some mindset stuff. So that I would add that in. It's like even if you are someone who's like, oh shit, I'm older and that's too late now. I can't. It's like, well, actually, you could probably do a lot more in an hour, with yeah. everything you know, than someone else who's just getting started can do it now.
1: And there's also the huge undervalued benefit of the years you've spent building relationships. There's this myth, especially in the startup space, that you know entrepreneurs are early mid twenties Harvard grads disrupting industries. The reality is, most businesses that get funded and get bought are from mid-career entrepreneurs who know the space, know the companies in the space, you know, they're just phone calls away from the right people they need to know to make things happen. So, you know, I would say that if you are in that second camp, you're probably undervaluing some of the assets you've accrued, especially in terms of social capital.
0: Mm -hmm. Say more about that, because I know that you are really big on relationships. Like in some ways, I think you would You'd probably say that's the core piece of any successful endeavors: the relationships. Is that right? Totally,
1: I think. I think everything that we do runs on relationships, runs on people, and you know, you can you can cut some corners and pad your numbers by being clever and knowing how systems work. But at the end of the day, if you want to build any business from scratch, I think the the best way to start is with relationships because it just becomes more sustainable. People like to work with people like to buy from people they know and people that they trust. So the sooner that you start building relationships like that, you know, especially in a a service-based business, the best way I think to start and grow a service-based business is by creating a, as many advocates as you can. And advocates are people who are proactively spreading the good word about the work that you do. And doing that in a way that is specific and clear and productive, creating referrals for you, generally. And a lot of people miss, they underestimate the advocates that they have. Everybody has them already. Friends, family, coworkers, colleagues, all of them know you. And in their day-to-day life, they're meeting people around them all the time who have problems. When we talk to people, we love to talk about our problems. And so, when somebody presents a problem to us, the first thing we do is try to solve that problem for them because that makes them think we are valuable, useful, good people. And a lot of the times, we solve problems by thinking about who do we know that can solve that problem really effectively. Mm-hmm. That's where referrals come from, that's where word of mouth comes from. So, the key to getting that referral is being the first person to mind for whatever problem is being presented to your advocate. And generally to be first to mind, you have to be specific about who you help and how you help them so that you are the easiest person to think of. Okay, I got to send that person to Andy. So when people start service-based businesses, the best thing you can do is take a specific stance, say, this is the type of person that I help. This is the problem I solve for them. Try to keep that. You know, in as short of a sentence as possible, I help X do Y is a really great way to do it. Um, I help people start podcasts is what I could have said for that webinar you were on. Generally, I say I help creatives become business owners. So when you socialize that idea to your advocates, they now have those two specific data points, the X and the Y. And if someone says, hey, I need someone that can help me start my podcast, they'll think, oh, who do I just talk to? So they help start podcasts, this person. Or as soon as they say, "Hey, I'm you know a creative, and I'm looking for someone to help me run my business." Oh, you gotta talk to Jay, you know. So that's the way that I would say leverage your relationships when starting a business. You know, think about the people who already want to spread the good word about you. Give them the toolbox for how to do that effectively, and then work to meet new people. Try to be helpful to them. Learn about them. Be an advocate for them. And If they ask you, "Hey, so what do you do?" you have your answer. You don't have to be afraid of answering that question because you've rehearsed it.
0: Yeah, and I want to just underline that and build on it a bit because I think this is so important. I think there's a piece here that people get. I have seen myself and others get stuck because they're just. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who my audience is. I'm not sure how I can help. So I think there's a both end here, and that you can you can approach this with a spirit of the same kind of creative entrepreneurial spirit that you might approach any other question. Well, yeah. Who are my people? Who do I help? One of the most powerful things I did early on in my coaching business was just start to reach out to my immediate people, my network and just say like, what do you think my strengths are? Like, how have I helped you? And and since then, what I've noticed is that like I thought, what my coaching business was going to be was X, and I said I do this for that. I do X or Y. I help I help people with a day job do more creative work, and that's true to a certain extent. But what I start as I started to go down that path, now that I had a path, I was able to look and go, oh, that's not quite right, and I redefined it, and I redefined it, and I redefined it. So there's sort of there's sort of a both end here. It's like by starting with the question, who do I help or who can I help? And maybe you literally ask that question to people around you that you know, how have I helped you? You can then just have something to test Mm. and say, here, is this something that is actually going to work? Let me talk to some other people who I don't know and see if it sparks their interest. So there's this really powerful way that getting specific, even if it's not your final specific, in fact, it probably almost certainly won't be your final specific, having this specific is going to help you move as opposed to just being like overwhelmed with I could go in a thousand directions right now
1: I also love that exercise because ultimately you are known for your actions and if you think about plotting the way that you act and behave on some sort of metaphorical xy graph you know people when they have interactions with you touch points they plot a point on this graph in their mind of who is Andy, who is Jay, what's this person about? What do they care about? What do they do? And then they kind of draw a best fit line in their mind of those things to understand conceptually, who is Andy? How do I know him? How do I experience him? This is true for anything. This is the essence of what a brand is, you know, what the expectations we've come to have for something or someone and then fulfilling it because I could say, Hey, I help, fortune 100 companies make great videos. Me saying that doesn't make it true. Me (laughs) saying that and doing that makes it true. Or me doing that makes it true. The saying doesn't actually mean anything if you don't back it up and fulfill that promise. So at any point in time, your advocates, by virtue of being an advocate, have had interactions with you. They've already built some sort of perception of who you are, what you do, what you care about. And that's a really great way to calibrate A is the promise that I'm saying, lining up with people's expectations or B reverse engineering. What is my promise based on the expectations people already have?
0: Mm. I
1: did this as an exercise once about four or five years ago. Um, I was really into the idea of like, how does one build a personal brand? What does that mean? And so I waited until my birthday because I knew I would get a bunch of text messages saying, Hey, happy birthday. And so people who texted me, Hey, happy birthday. I said, thank you. Can you fill out this two-question survey for me? <laughs> nice. And the first question was like a, a one to 10 scale of how well do you think you know me? So I could kind of organize the data I was going to get. And the second question was just open-ended. If someone asked you at a party, hey, who, what is Jay like? How would you describe me? And that was an exercise in trying to figure out, am I portraying to people close to me who have experience with me? what i want the world to experience me as. And that's like a scary kind of eye-opening experience, but like would recommend.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, well in the world of of leadership coaching, there's this tool called the 360 where mm-hmm. you do that in a deep way. And it's actually it can be really terrifying for people, but there's a reason why that's such a persistent useful tool in coaching and 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 that and the same for the same reason. It's a really useful for an entrepreneur. We are actually pretty bad at self assessing how others people like yeah. as human beings, our self perception is often mildly to wildly different than how other people perceive us. So if you if you have kind of the the ability to sit with maybe hearing some stuff that's gonna surprise you, it can be so helpful. I love that yeah. you did that.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Totally haven't done one uh, of those in a long time. I would love to do one of those.
0: Yeah. So one theme that has been really uh, like passionate to me that I feel like you are walking the walk on and maybe you've thought about this explicitly, or maybe, maybe this is me doing for you what, what we were just talking about, which is like, I see you as someone who really cares about creatives and cares about people who have a creative spirit and wants to help them thrive. And, and like one of the, one of the big persistent myths is this, this starving artist myth that like creative stuff is nice to have. It's not valuable. We see it in school system where, where the arts get cut first, right? Like we see it all over the place. I'd love to just hear you talk about how, you, how you've been threading that needle, how you're living into this idea that actually... You can be an artist or a creative and you don't have to starve. In fact, not only you don't have to starve, but you can find a way to thrive. Like, why is that important to you? Why did you decide that that was the thing you were going to plant your flag in, in the ground for?
1: There was a time about four years ago when I worked with a coach, first coach I worked with. And one of his exercises was to tell me, go for a walk, take a notebook, take a pen, take no music. Take not your phone, take nothing else, notebook, pen, go for a walk. Listen to the voices in your head and what you tell yourself just to take note of, you know, the, the tapes that you're playing or the narratives that you have. And at the time I was working a job, it was after we had sold the startup. And in that startup, I was this, I was the first hire. I was the number two. I was a COO. I executed Like, nobody's business, but it was pretty much always our CEO, my co-founder's vision. And that left me with this belief that I was not an idea guy. I was an execution guy. And so, on that walk, I heard that tape. I wrote it down. I burned that piece of paper. And that's when I started writing. And and I, I did that as a way of proving to myself that this is a lie, a... Very limiting belief. And since that time, I've just been a lot more aware of my beliefs generally. And when they aren't useful, if they're not serving me, I let them go. Because what's the point? And I think that the starving artist belief is like the epitome of a limiting belief. Why hold on to that? You know, now just by letting that go doesn't mean that the money's going to flow in but it's a start. And so for me, you know, I came from a background of startups, entrepreneurship product before I got into the world of freelancing and ultimately creativity. And to me, I started meeting these people who were clients of mine who were wildly talented, creative people who just didn't quite know how to turn that into money to make a living and it wasn't always some you know tangible art they were doing it was work for clients but they had a hard time finding clients they had a hard time talking about the work that they did hard time differentiating themselves and for me everything just came down to how do i package this as a product because people buy products people buy outcomes and so if you believe in this idea of a starving artist one again i would say let it go because it's not serving you two <laughs> For you to receive value in the form of compensation, somebody is handing you money. They hand money over for something that is worth more than the cash on hand, which is generally an outcome, uh, a story they tell themselves. Anytime someone buys anything, they rationalize it to themselves and maybe to you. And so you need to help them do that in a way that allows them to come to the conclusion. It's better for me to pay money to this person then hold on to it and not have the outcome that they are promising me. And, you know, I just, I've seen so many people who are less talented, less original, less passionate, make more money mm. <laughs> than people who are so original, so passionate, so creative, and it's just a bummer to me. Mm. And these people who have this innate compulsion to create which i think is like this amazing life force for a human being i see them get stomped down and get that pushed out of them and they feel like that's not that's great i want to protect that but that can't be how i sustain myself i just i don't believe that to be true and i want to help more people find that reality Mm -hmm. um i also this is a tangent that's pretty self-explanatory so we don't have to go too deep on it I just hate the way that we have guarded the idea of creativity into something that is beautiful but not necessarily useful, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. We we seem to call create creative acts something that has beauty but not utility. Whereas just about anything can be a creative act. When you thought about, okay, how do I record this podcast with Jay to have the best audio I can. That's a creative act. That's problem solving. Problem solving is a creative act. People are creative in their day-to-day all the time and they don't allow themselves to notice that or appreciate that. Mm. And those who have been stomped down by this idea that, hey, what you do is beautiful, but not useful. They say, well, then let me keep that identity of creative. And you can't have that if you're going to take this away from me. And that's a bummer too, <laughs> you know? Mm. So I'm trying to work in, in both of those camps.
0: Sounds like you're almost aware that somewhere at the intersection of those two camps, there is both beauty and utility, and that probably there's lots that we could learn from each other if we strongly identify in one camp or the other.
1: Yeah. And as the world becomes more automated, quicker and quicker and quicker, what we're going to be left with as humans is the ability to commit creative acts and do things creatively that are still outside the bounds of what we can automate easily. And we have to recognize that that is a wide range of things. And we want people to realize that and embrace that and lean into that. Or I don't know what's going to happen to people.
0: (laughs) Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Like There's two things in here that I hear you've done for yourself that also you're trying to help other people do. One is find ways to identify what you call the tapes or the limiting beliefs, the things that you believe to be true about yourself. Find ways to actually put them in the light and look at them, like go for a walk and do some journaling, and then decide, should I keep believing this about myself? And if, I, and if not, I can burn it up. I can throw it in the trash. And then I can say, what do I do now? I can take, make a choice as opposed to just caring for this story. And that's really awesome. Belief is... Oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: I just say belief is really powerful. Yeah. It's like the most powerful thing that we can have. And when you realize that people can't force beliefs on you if you don't allow them to, it's amazing because you are in complete control of your emotional state all the time which can be frustrating to some people around you when yeah. they say, this is true. When you say, I don't believe that yeah, um, and let it roll off. You don't have to, you, it, it also when you understand how powerful belief is for yourself and that people can't force it on you, it also tells you that you can't or shouldn't enforce your beliefs on other people, which I think makes you a well-rounded, uh, more tolerable and tolerant person. <laughs>
0: nice. And the other thing I hear you saying is like, we've got this kind of, creativity with a big C kind of thing that is even if most people don't see its utility, maybe there are also lots of people who don't see that they even know how to access it. Like there's the, the the creatives are trying to climb the hill of sustainability and like confidence in their value in the world. And then the many others who don't identify as creative are like longing to be more creative, but they see it as this big C unattainable that's just for the artists, not for me. and it sounds like you're you're working with both to like help them like that limiting belief that creativity has a big C in front of it is is in itself a limiting belief. is that right?
1: totally i mean i think I think both sides of that wall, if you want to call it that, would benefit from meeting in the middle and realizing that this is a skill, this is something I can flex, and I can receive value from the world by doing that that's great for both people the, about the same time i was working with that coach and uh having some limiting beliefs for myself i read julie cameron's the artist way yes. yeah. and when i read the idea of a shadow artist i could not have identified more strongly with an idea i was like oh and for those listening who haven't read the artist way Consider it at least the beginning of it. It's where a lot of people get the idea of morning pages, this practice of writing three long form pages every day, which is an easy creative act to get yourself to do. Cause it's just stream of consciousness,
0: Also, but super sh- therapeutic by the way, super
1: therapeutic and a great way to unblock yourself yeah. and get, and get things moving. Um, a shadow artist is somebody who feels a calling to create, but just doesn't know how and feels locked. And so they follow other artists, they see other artists creating and they appreciate it and they aspire to it, but they just can't find themselves doing it. And they actively censor for themselves from trying. That was something that I read and was just like, wow, that is me.
0: <laughs> yeah. For me, that really connects with this idea of like the distinction between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Like I had a belief for a long, long time that talent was a thing you either had or you didn't. And that shadow, so that shadow artist in me was said, yeah, I really want to be creative, but I'm not musical like, like she is, or I can't write like she does. And that was true at that particular moment in time. I couldn't make music like she could or write like, but, but because I thought that was fixed I didn't have the. I didn't believe that putting in the effort and the work would actually help that shadow artist come out into the light. And fortunately, I had some really great teachers and coaches who helped me see what a what (laughs) limiting belief that was. But yeah, the shadow artist concept is so important.
1: I wonder when we adopt that because I think everybody, as they go through schooling, is introduced to and spends some time in a fixed mindset. I won't say anybody, but a lot of people do. And yet, when you're younger and you're trying to pick up any type of skill, an instrument, a sport, you have already experienced the idea of, I am not good at this and I'm going to work at it until I am good at this. And at some point, as you get older, you stop being willing to admit that you're not good at something and go through the hard work of getting good at that thing.
0: Yeah. It has. It's such an important question, and I certainly don't claim to have the whole answer. But I think there is. There's this great poet and philosopher, a guy named David White, who has a wonderful book called "Crossing the Unknown Sea." And the subtitle is "Work as a Pilgrimage of Identity," and he talks about like one of the ways if you are one of these uh, adults who. Or, or we might call in the language of Julia Cameron, if you are a shadow artist and you're at this place in your life where you feel this longing and compulsion, but you just don't have any wherewithal about what to do with it or how to do it or where to start or whether or not you're worthy to start, like all this stuff that's mm-hmm. in your way. David White talks about finding a way back to that childhood, like really literally mm-hmm. through memory, through journaling, through poetry, through traveling back to where you grew up, like whatever it is, to help you reconnect with that exact thing that mm. as a kid there there's no for a period of time there is no filter and if you try and play an instrument and then you can't do it but you're having fun trying kind of like you said about how like I just love solving this puzzle every day you just keep going yep. if on the other hand you get to that instrument and you try and you're like no, that's boring and you just go away like the the kids are are so gifted at. Keeping going if they're interested, even if they're not quote unquote good, or yeah. just letting it go and not having it have anything to do with, like, oh, I'm not a pianist because I couldn't play the piano. They don't even know what a pianist is. It doesn't exist yet. There's just this yeah. thing that makes sound in front of them. Yeah. Right? So it's like, how can we just get back to that? What's in front of us that we're interested in, even if it's hard, or especially because it's hard?
1: I wonder if that story I was just telling about kids being willing to be bad at something until they're good at something. I wonder if that has remained to be true in a world of social media, the internet, Mm. easier search, YouTube, because as you're saying this, what's striking me is the more readily I can access a world of people who identify with a skill and are really good at it and compare myself to those people who have probably been doing it for years, the more quickly I decide if I'm willing to go through the work of getting good at it because I'm benchmarking myself. And as a kid, of course I never did that. I didn't, you know, of course I didn't realize there was a pianist.
0: Yeah, man, that is a great question and kind of a scary one as a dad. I'm like, Oh dang. Like I really, I really want to figure out how to let, make sure my, my daughter and my son to be born, have the time and the space and the runway to sort of be in that kingdom of childhood without too much pressure too early on yeah. to conform because conformity is useful for survival, but really hard for the shadow artist and all of us.
1: And it's useful to model after somebody or something as a way of getting better. But when you benchmark and compare, I think that's dangerous. And I think that's what dissuades a lot of people from really working at something.
0: And the the really tough thing about any creative endeavor is you're benchmarking against a a product or an outcome or an output with actually no real sense of what it took for that particular person to get to that moment. So I could watch a video of someone playing piano for five minutes and it's just jaw dropping and beautiful and stunning and go, I can never play, play that way but they may have been practicing for 20 years because they love it. And they're happy to put in two, four, six, eight, ten 10 hours a day to get there. So it's sort of like, of course, you're not going to play like that yet. Yeah. So do you want to just enjoy the process is a really important question.
1: No real sense for all the inputs that it took to get there, nor no real sense for what the journey of growth has looked like. I think we assume that when we can at least guess the period of time, we think of a linear relationship between skill and time. And in reality, there are exponential moments which don't last forever. There are plateaus. There are, you know, some linear moments. But a lot of times we'll look at something and we'll think, that seems so far away. And even if we say, okay, this this point is three years ahead of where I am, a year later, we're saying, they were still, you know, if I tried to, imagine my journey to this point, 3x, I'm still not going to get there. I must be failing. But you're forgetting that there are exponential points. And usually it's a little bit later, you know, like you have to build on things. So that's interesting.
0: Dude. Yeah. That's so important. We really do think and believe linear and, and linear progression, but actually in most cases, there are these these moments where, where we're hitting the wall, hitting the wall, we're on the plateau, we're practicing and practicing, I'm never, and then it just clicks. And suddenly you can play something or do something at a level that, that before seemed totally unachievable. And from that place, now all of these new possibilities for, for more growth, more practice, more study become possible that, that seemed, were invisible or impossible to you before you got to that place.
1: I love the idea. This is in James Clear's book, uh, Atomic Habits. Oh, yeah. It's the idea of, I want to say stored potential, but the idea that take an ice cube, take an ice cube in a room, it's frozen. And as you raise the temperature, it looks like nothing is happening to that ice cube until you get to 33 degrees. And then it changes state entirely. And that was happening all the while, but looking at it, you couldn't tell. I love ideas like that because when you're in the hard work of anything, especially a creative endeavor, you know, take, you're doing this podcast. You can put out these, uh, these first 10 episodes. And then for the next 50, you might see a nominal to no audience growth. And then at episode 51, something happens. It hits some sort of uh, individual who hears it, loves it. One individual who loves it and happens to have the following of their own, shares it all at once, huge growth. Because you've gotten better at the process. You've gotten to make a better product over the last 50 episodes, even though you didn't see growth. And all of that work led to this moment where you had an opportunity to impress somebody who can make a difference for you, and it happens, you know? You can never really predict those things. All you can do is work on the elements and the aspects of what you can control and, you know, wait for those moments.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like the incremental is essential for the exponential. You've got to put in. You've got to just keep yep. turning up the temperature by one degree until you reach that melting point, and then suddenly something shifts. And unfortunately, unlike an ice cube, we don't know what our particular threshold is. We don't. It's hard. It's pretty much impossible to know from where we sit right now when or where or how that moment is going to come. But there's some trust that if you keep Showing up every day and doing the stuff that keeps you moving and keeps you in a a positive space, then you then you certainly increase the odds by quite a lot that when the time comes, you'll be in a position for that exponential thing to actually happen.
1: Which goes all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, where we're talking about taking a job versus building your own path. And ultimately, if you're taking a bet on yourself, you have to be ready and aware that there will be some linear patches. There'll be some completely stagnant uh, passages. And eventually, you know, because you made that bet, you get to a point where that incremental growth set you up for a period of exponential growth.
0: (sighs) Amazing, man. That's such a great insight. So I feel like we're coming down the home stretch and I'm glad we got to that, to that breakthrough, your metaphor for kind of the ice cube, this idea that it's not linear. For anyone who's listening, I really want to underline that for you. Jay has just dropped some serious wisdom about what it takes to be on a journey as a creative and also make a living doing it. So thank you for that, Jay. Um, The big driving question for me, the reason why I started this podcast, I was actually at a retreat with David White, the poet philosopher that I mentioned. And man, he's this guy, talk about exponential, by the way, right? Uh, He... He has been doing these online series, these Sunday series that are basically just one hour versions of the workshops he normally would deliver live. And normally, if you saw him live, you'd see him for a whole day or a weekend. And he just he reads his poetry. He recites other poems. He tells stories. He just is this, he's, he's this Englishman with kind of a Welsh accent. He just got this great voice and you spend time with him. And you just drop in. It's just like it's so powerful. So I'll get to my point in a second, but, but the thing that I wanted to share about, I got my inspiration just by being in the presence of someone who was talking about a life, like living a life of your own making. And in his case, that's as a poet and a storyteller. And he recently has been doing these online workshop series, and it's like 60 bucks to go to three sessions. So each one's an hour and 30 minutes. Uh, if you can't afford to pay because you're in a financial hardship, he says, email us, we'll get, get you into the steep discounter for free. But I've got to imagine that he has thousands, if not, if not like even 10,000 people all showing up and saying, yes, I want, I'm willing to pay $60 to be on, to be in your presence for an hour online, because life is crazy right now. And I just need something to help me stay grounded. And he's been doing it for like 40 plus years. But could you imagine what it would be like to just be in the core of what you love? You've been at it for 40 plus years. Suddenly you can send out an email to people and a thousand people or 5,000 people or 10,000 people. all go, yeah, I'll pay you $60. Yeah. <laughs> and I then can't. All you have to do is show up for an hour and just do what you love. I can't
1: imagine a better life. Yeah. And it takes years to do that. Years. I mean, he's forty years in. That's amazing. He probably had, you know, a watershed moment earlier than that. Yeah. But you know, it takes years.
0: Yeah, he, and he actually talks about this idea that any creative work is like a seed underground, and that if you pull the seed up too soon, or if it's only a little sprout and you try and pull it out, it's gonna. It's not the right time. So stuff needs time to kind of be in gestation before it's ready to come out. Um, but in the same way, stuff, you you go out to the park one day and there's no flowers and you come up the next day, there's flowers. Like it's this again, it's that incremental, incremental, incremental until something is ready to be out. Um, totally. So anyways, I got on a bit of a tangent because I just really think your insight is important. Um, but the the last thing I want to close with is this idea that like the question that came for me in retreat with David White was... What what are we going to do as a species? What is our fierce hope? Like, how do we get through? And this was pre-COVID, but still, just felt to me like we needed to get oriented onto something hopeful as opposed to something destructive. And I hear in you this sort of sense, like there are some ways in which this the, the bets we've made around job sustainability and and all that stuff are actually not paying off. And I just love to hear from where you sit. Like, what's your fierce hope for humanity? What are you hoping for for people? in the context of what we shared or in the context of all of the work that you the doing.
1: I hope we get to a place where, man, I mean, there's, there's a lot here.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I hope we get to a place where people are afforded the comfort to not be scared. Yeah. I think a lot of the anger that is all around us all the time comes from a place of fear and insecurity which comes from some very real scarcity that our American society at least Mm. has created and perpetuated Mm. by how we've changed like the ability for people to make a living, you know, like the, the, the wealth inequality in our country is insane and it's, it's created a very destructive, Class system, you know, for lack of a better term, and I hope we get to a place where, as people, we find and create a way to make life more comfortable and safe for people, so that we can embrace being a one human race again, Mm -hmm. and you know, spend our time doing things we want to do. You know, from a, a purely economical standpoint. As a species, there is a way for us to figure out how to not worry about money as a thing. If that was a goal that we were incentivized to do. (laughs) And I don't know if we'll ever get there because I don't think it's in our genetic makeup to truly take that on and solve that problem. But we got to get closer. We got to take care of each other. Um, You know, and I I hope we find a way to get there. And it it might take the pendulum swinging even further in this direction for us to hit a breaking point to swing it back. I hope not. Hope it doesn't go much further. But that would be my hope.
0: Man, really appreciate that. And I want to just mirror back to you. Like, actually, there is a possibility. A friend of mine said the other day that we might actually be in a renaissance right now. That, that in some ways, a renaissance looks pretty amazing from look, looked at from the lens of 100 years in the future. But it's probably also really, really uncomfortable. But the fact that people like you who are out there making paths for other people who just see wilderness is really, really important right now. And, and my hope is that what you're doing and what all the people like you are doing are creating that ice cube effect that there's a possibility that as a result of your commitment to helping more creatives thrive, that we will collectively be able to, th- to create the world you just described. So thank you for what you're doing. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Andy. Yeah, this is a real treat. Where can people for, I'll make sure it's all on the show notes and everything, but just for those who are listening in the moment and they want to, they want to know more about you and want to find you right away. Where should I go?
1: You can find my writing and my podcast, creative elements at jklaus.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Jay Klaus.
0: Brilliant. Jay, thanks for being on The Wonder Dome. You're a real pleasure. Right. Thanks for tuning in to The Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston you can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.